We've had quite a few questions come through, and our John Satito and I have had a look and you know, kind of sorted them into groups in a way. So I think, Ajahn Satito, you were going to start addressing the first question on the breath and the abdomen. Yes, because uh, apparently <laughs> I wrote something in a book <laughs> about trying to breathe through the abdomen. Mm -hmm. person finds it hard to do so, some, some block in the solar plexus. Also, when they exhale, they can't relax. The exhale is short. Deliberate act to change my breathing to slow and deep isn't a pleasant one. Is this necessary for me to get to the state of enjoyment in connection with my breath? My breathing now is shallow, brief, in an upper lung only. Mm. Yeah, the optimal uh, uh, elongation and completion of the breathing process means there's a, a very full, long and un unobstructed track which approximates from the abdominal centre up to the top of the throat back of the mouth, even the back of the nose, and that's the optimal, everything is clear. But it's not always the case that in this person's situation things are optimal. Um, so it releases the bodily energy, and it seems that there's some obstructions there. Now a fairly good rule is that you can't push energy around if you add mental energy to bodily energy in that way, you end up getting into problems. Now, every kind of intention, mental intention, trying, has an energy to it. And the energy of trying is definitely very directive and can be quite forceful. Now, if you put that onto bodily energy, you're going to get some difficulties, some constrictions occurring. So you can't lengthen by trying you know even if we say well you know it'd be good if it would be good if but you don't you can't get there through the trying trying is a mental energy if you put mental energy on top of bodily energy it's going to mess it up unless the mental now you can put mental energy which is enjoyment now that does meet and blend into bodily energy enjoyment yeah that definitely that sits well. Pushing does not sit well with the body, you know. So you can't do it by trying. Um, still, there are kinds of intentions, in other words, engagements that you can make with your breathing process. Uh, first of all, it's just attention. Okay, you're not ignoring it, staying present with it, and uh, you can develop that. So this is not pushing it, it's just like expanding your awareness of that process. So you must oh, it feels tight in the solar plexus. Uh-huh. Right, so let's so go to the solar plexus and begin to widen your attention. How how far does that sense of tightness extend? Does it occur through your ribs? Does it occur up to your heart? There's a point in which it the tightness Receives. It's not all. It's not the whole body isn't locked up. So you trace, you widen, and there's an intention to widen, to, because the tendency is we get a difficult place. Our attention tends to go into it, and that's no good because again you're ramming energy, not deliberately, but that's what happens is you're putting more energy into place. It's already seizing up, and you really want to open. You can't also you can't try to open, but you can extend your awareness of the constriction and soften your attitude, like don't try to get rid of the constriction. That seems counterintuitive, but don't try to get rid of it, because again, that's a contradictory energy. You're putting a contradiction right, onto something that's present. It's, not, it's going to lock up. You push against it, it's going to lock up. 
So you don't push against, you don't try to open up, you don't try to relax. You can't try to relax. <laughs> it's like trying to be happy, it just doesn't make sense. So you widen and widen and widen your, your attention through the body. Some movements here, some movements there, energy's moving, shifting. And widen your, your expectations. So instead of, I've got to get through this, I go, no, 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 you don't have to. There's no have to about it. Explore. Explore the experience. Hmm? And, um, you know, and so, so that expression will help to, to relax the emotion. You know, the emotional, I want to get through this. I'm stuck. You want to get that to relax. So if we're not making a big issue out of this experience, then the emotion is a bit more emotional relaxation. Okay, this is what it is now. It's like this now. Can there be acceptance of that? I don't have to, means it's the way it is. Can there be acceptance of that? It's an emotional widening and softening and relinquishment. You know, mental energies and body energies are, can synchronize. You know, they do synchronize. If you put a contradictory energy into an, then they, the synchronization is negative. You get a lock jam. If you put a complementary energy in, so say we've got some kind of energy, my complementary energy is to I accept, I allow, I'm interested, that's the way it is. That that complements, doesn't it? That doesn't contradict it. It's okay, that's that. And we deepen. And it changes it's great because even if the thing remains that way, I'm learning a little bit more about patience, compassion, spaciousness, getting less intense, less head up, less angst ridden, less demanding. Good for me. Bit of bit of frustration is good for me. I I get lots of it, and it's generally done me a lot of good. <laughs> in the long run, I didn't like it, but but in the end, okay, it's like that. Well, so what? You know, and you arrive somewhere like equanimity, dispassion. That particular energy, energy of equanimity, is really spacious and soft and you tune into that there's a good chance your body will pick up that signal because on an energetic level the body and the mind can talk to each other so if the mind's in a pretty open spacious light state you know, you connect and you attend to your body in that way your body will begin to pick that signal up as Oh, okay. Oh, 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 I just breathed out. <laughs> you know, it, it can happen like that. Um, so, so if you've got a tight area, solar plexus, widened to include your chest, your abdomen, get it nice and wide, experience that within a wider frame of reference and get your mental attitudes and attention to flex and um, see where that goes that's what i would recommend don't believe everything you read in books <laughs> thank you john what it's what you're saying you know that sense of in a way coming out of the agendas of it you trying to make things happen and in the books there are lots of places we you know should be attending or energy patterns we should be following but i think you know even ajahn lee damadaro has these beautiful patterns but they're not about doing anything they're actually just about sensitizing to experience what's actually happening and it's easy to read them and think they're a, a task to be done rather than they're about a kind of attuning aren't they so you write about the abdomen and if you know, when things settle and open, yes, there is the that kind of energy there. But if we try and make it happen, we end up in a great constriction. Yeah. 
Thank you. I'm being facetious, don't read books, but it's certainly, you know, one can get this, this idea you've got to try to have the experience that's in the book. And there's, there's, where, there's where you get the mistake, you know. It doesn't, you don't arrive there by trying, you arrive there by noting that's a possibility that could occur. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. And the way there, that's important. What is the next one, Willow? Is it? There are a few questions around regret, feeling that you know, I must do repair, you know how to let it go. The kind of how do we work in a way with the um, felt effects of what's happened in our life, and regret. You know, it's something I imagine all of us can have at times. Yeah, you know, we're we're trying to live in a way that is harmless and attuned. And it can be quite hard, yeah, because you can you can take it then and it becomes a judgment of everything that's gone before. And I don't know about you, but there are things if this being was back there with what it understands now, it would do totally differently. So that's one of the reflections I have for myself is to recognize, hey, that well, kid was doing the best they could with what they understood. So it seems the past needs a couple of gestures. And one is forgiveness and one is thankfulness. Yeah. And so to to you know, there are things we can do to repair what may have happened, but my primary movement always is a sense of really forgiving, forgiving here for a start off. Even though it wasn't this present kind of being, it still has a rippling effect, doesn't it, in the titta? And then what to do? I mean, I don't know about you, but there, there are things I did when I was younger out of, I don't know, fear and not really understanding kind of negligence and have in a way, attempted to repair, but that's often a two-way thing and sometimes you don't get a response back. So you just have to be with what is left here and, and to be really gentle with that. So not, you know, not to pick up our, our ethical aspirations to become a site of self-criticism, self-judgment, in a way to start... Um, lacerating our own sense of well-being. It can be really, really destructive, can't it? You think, oh, if only it had happened differently. And what I see is, you you really see how causes and conditions happen. If the conditions had been different, something else would have happened. And it, it becomes a real encouragement to establish wholesome conditions so that in the moment of me coming forth into the world, I do it with as much resources as I can so that it's skillful. And within the within the teaching, the way the Buddha talked about this, I've always found really helpful that it's growth in the stomach and discipline to see a mistake recognize it yeah there isn't he doesn't talk about doing a whole lot of penance he talks about bringing the full heart and awareness to this so that it becomes a kind of another sense of creator for the guardians of the world that we can actually look straight at something and think hey i could have done that differently you know we get more and more um refined in a way, don't we, as we practice. And you know, yesterday in the question and answer, you know, I said to Ajahn Satito, what do you do with your wayward mind? And after I thought, oh, no, as if I'm telling, you know, who am I to be saying to anybody that their mind is wayward? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Rather than talking about the wayward mind, yeah? You can just feel, oh, no, it's not a big thing, I hope. He he knows me well. Hopefully he doesn't mind. But that sense of, well, then I write and say, 
Oh, Bhante, sorry about that, yeah? yeah? And put it down. Yeah. So it becomes really simple. And the tendency, regret often, you know, is so, turns to a really afflicted state. So to let it go with love and forgiveness. Yeah. If the being, this being, that being had had different conditions, something else would have happened. So, yeah, we can have a lot we wish had happened differently. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I look and I think, well, here am I, all this stuff has brought me here, and I'm sitting, waking up, listening to the Dhamma. So even to be thankful for the bits that weren't so beautiful because they became the encouragement to practice. Yeah. So I don't know how that feels for you, but I, I just, to think of the kind of, how do we actually bring love into this for ourselves, for others, so that we don't, if we live out of regret, we stay really contracted and tight. You know, if we live out of forgiveness and thankfulness, something else is possible. Ajahn, how do you work with, with this really, it can be quite a lacerating feeling, can't it? It's like a hole, like your energy drains out of a hole. You know, when you get these deep regret experiences, feel ground ungrounded. It's like your upright channel is just leaked. You know, uh, it's the way it seems to me. You know, you have an upright hiriota, but a sense of conscience and concern, which I take extremely seriously. You know, and if I, you know, transgress foolishly through casualness, then there's a sense of something for it breaks and or it opens and I have to or you know feel something I don't feel mis- I don't feel sh- I feel much weakened by that and uh, disoriented mm-hmm. so it's important to uh, you know keep uh, reaffirming the upright axis the upright energy the upright mind and naturally when one affirms the upright mind then uh, one becomes extremely sensitive to to um, potential for regret. And regret is not something that, that uh, evil or foolish people experience. It's generally kind, sensitive people who experience regret. <laughs> you know, because there's a sense of oh my goodness, this is this is not this is really uncomfortable. So sometimes uh, I recommend myself now just to you know get a Almost like a, not only a picture, but a felt sense of that person. Careless, giddy, excited, snappy, you know, said something, yeah, you know, it's a little bit pointy or unguarded. Oh, God. Uh, and you can't, you can't, you can't take the action back. But you're left with the person, aren't you? are left with that, that person, that foolish, careless person, you know. So that's the one you've got to bring home. You've got to take that person back in your heart and say, okay, dear, you know, yeah, how do you feel now? Right, so let's just, you know, and hold them. This is exactly another way of reiterating what Willow said. You can call it forgiveness or compassion. It's extending the, um, the boundaries of care over the afflicted and confused beings. And... Um, you know, there are many beings in in this field. <laughs> uh, the idea of just one person is is you know, it's not, it's a, there's quite a few beings in here, in that field. You know, one's regret person, one's passion person, one's sense of whatever. You know, so these have to be held with the mind of 
love, equanimity, compassion, forgiveness. And of course, anyone you feel you've hurt, they should also be brought in. So that everybody's included, all these tiny lost souls who fly around in your heart, you know, feeling uncertain and unhappy, you've got to bring them all in. And you can't push them out and you can't dictate to them, you've got to embrace them. Um, and in an unconditional way, not saying, oh, shut up, go away, but just, yeah, I want to listen to this, feel it. And, but anyway, also just feel, feel the pang of that. Breathing in, breathing out, feeling the pang of that. Yeah. And you'll find with that, the upright sense re returns because now you're doing a very upright thing. You're doing a very, very upright thing, which is the acknowledgement and a deep concern to establish true centre and responsibility in this present moment. That's, that's what you're doing. And that energy is going to travel and gradually that, that hurt being or that regret being will begin to soften and you know, and when they've learnt something, they say thank you very much. You know, now I, I've got the reminder. Be careful. Everything counts. Uh, be careful. Everything counts, and we have to be loving. As they say, you know, you can't cure it any other way. And as Willem mentioned, the Buddha said it's great, great benefit, great progress to be able to acknowledge a transgression. Because you learn something, that's what not to do, and you learn something else. This is what to do. This is about healing, not judging. And that's a tremendous learning. Thank you, Bhante. It's not dead to this judging critical world, really. In the Next questions were really around the, the chitta. Chitto, very nice to hear you talk about the chitta. Chitta. <laughs> well, yeah. It's mercurial. It says nothing, nothing, the Buddha said, I can't even find a metaphor that accurately describes how many fluctuations the chitta goes through. It's just not a solid thing at all. Yeah. But if we, you know, it's like intelligence, it's like sensitivity. Can you say there's such a thing as sensitivity? Yes. What's a sensitivity then? It's sensitivity. Yeah, but what is it? It's being sensitive. <laughs> so what is a chitta? It's, it's awareness. Well, what's that? It's being aware. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, you know that's the, and it's also it, it travels or or I don't know everything you say about the chitta is really metaphorical and poetic because you can't see the chitta it's not an object it's the it's the supreme subject you know? so you can't say that's my chitta because chitta is that which sees that which is aware but it, it it's aware it it's aware of this field the jitta field called the jitta sankara field of all the actions and reactions and programs and psychologies and memories and results and regrets and joys and so there's a jitta affected by joy there's a jitta affected by fear there's a jitta affected by regret now what's the jitta it's the awareness of the direct experience of regret it's that that's a regret jitta there's an experience of joy. Ah, that's a joy jitta. Are they the same thing? Well, yes and no. They're both awareness, which is sensitive. And naturally what is sensitive to affects, affects the colour of it, if you like, or the, the flavour of it. Yeah. And so, you know, in terms of how our kind of Western psychology think, you know, what's this? Is a brain? Is it the heart? Is it the nervous system? It's, no, this is a, this is different. Different. We're looking at deep experience. These maps we have uh, of um, you know, psychology don't really coincide with that. 
So it's uh, it's that, and uh, it descends or it arrives into birth. So then it's coloured then by the sense fields. It's awareness of the sense fields. Oh my goodness! And as it comes, it generates consciousness to pro to under, try to hear, you know, being born in this sensory world, in this sensory experience, is awareness of the sense of the sense fields, and that means consciousness starts happening. Starts. Oh, that's that. That's that. That's that. That's colour. That's sight. That's sound. You know, and. Um, and then when you're dying, the opposite happens. That is, all the sense fields begin to dissolve and you're left with primary radiance, you know, which is often very loving. You know, I've had near-death experiences where everything disappears. Who you are disappears, thought disappears, sight disappears, everything disappears, and you're just in loving radiance. That's just that movement towards it. That's so the then jitters there, but the sense fields have gone. But of course, by and large, in this lifetime, we are we are we're experiencing through the sense fields, and the jitter doesn't really belong in the sense fields. You know, that's why it's always slightly. This doesn't. This is always changing. That doesn't work. It's never comfortable. That jitter's more associated, more profoundly associated with with virtue. Oh, I can dwell in that. Or I can relate that's hot then you the jitter is more profoundly uh, centered in values and virtues than in sensory phenomena. And why it's so useful to keep tracking what moves it. It's not sight or sound, it's greed and hatred, it's love and compassion. You know, and so keep your eye on the ball. You know, it's not the sight that's the problem, it's the passion for it or the aversion to it. So those are the, these, are the, these are the effects that Jitta starts to tremble with. And you sense that, you're aware of that effect of passion or aversion, just go to the awareness of that. Oh, that's the, 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 the grip of the passion or the aversion falls away because one is aware rather than involved or pushing or defending or accusing return to awareness and the effects slip off the jitter is that which can be liberated as it's described in the Buddha's teaching jitter if you generate if you associate the jitter with uh, virtue the jitter rises I'm not saying it goes up into the sky but in a way it's its ethical momentum increases, its purity increases, it tends to elevate into, into, the, into the depth rather than sink into it. It arrives at beautiful depths experiences rather than grisly ones. You cultivate virtue, cultivate generosity, jitta rises. You know, cultivate meanness, jitta sinks into that depth experience into some grim areas, hungry ghosts, demons and so forth. So you know, this is the territory. And by and large, the training is the jitta can be released from this up and down experience. <laughs> you know, the jitta then is said when the, the jitta is released from the asava through not clinging, you know, it's that which is released from the floods and flows of corruptions through non clinging. That's jitta, you know, right? This jitta is liberated from the asava through not clinging. Yeah. This is the deathless. The deathless is what? The deathless is the jitta with no clinging. So, you know, I'm not, I, I have these words run through my brain and I suck them and chew them. And think, mm, sounds good, sounds good. I don't know if I really get it, but I, it's getting, I'm getting a good feeling out of that. And a sense of what it is, or where that where that potential is, because jitta knows what clinging feels like. That's its fundamental problem. It's trying to stick to something it can't stick to. It gets stuck, you know, in fear, you know, in personality belief, in dogmatism. You know, it's stuck in it. Addictions of various kinds. So we've got to, but it can be liberated through returning. To the basic 
stability of citta, when it steps back into itself. This is the citta entering samadhi. It steps back into itself and it relinquishes phenomena, outgoing, grasping. And this is the liberated citta. Yeah. So, <laughs> you are... This is kind of, I could go on, but I think you get the general picture. I'd like to hear Willa say a few things about that. Yeah, the Buddha didn't pin it down. So, you know, what you're saying, Vantage, is really pointing to that fact that it's not a thought process, yeah? And so that's why practice has to be deeply embodied and energetic because you can't liberate the thinking. Yeah, you can tidy it up a bit, but it's a different thing entirely than 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 thought processes. So as much as we read, as much as we think, actually that's not where the liberation is. Yeah? It can inform how we practice, but it's not in the end we've got to come home into the embodied experience. Buddha talked about touching Nibbana with the body, which really points to this why we're really talking about a kind of energetic work or an energetic presence, because that seems to bring us closer to this experience. And if you look at the process through Anapanasati, what we're actually doing is we're letting, as Ajahn Satito was saying, we're letting the chitta be in a kind of freer way we're letting go of its tendency to be out lean, you know, or not it, but the kind of grasping out at objects, subjects, that whole, and we're actually letting that soften. And at a certain point, you get the chitta more luminous and revealed. But it's still, in that sense, it's still leaning on conditions. And then at a certain point, you know, the, in all the discourses of the Buddha, we see that conditioned leaning and abandon it. So it may not be something we're experiencing every day, yeah? But even just to know the territory of the work, yeah? That the work is this, you know, I see it as we just keep coming home, bringing the sense of uprightness so that we can actually align with the where the chitta belongs, which is just in the here and now present, as Arjun Satita was, and in virtue and ethical living. And we start to understand or start to, we start to befriend the chitta, it starts to reveal itself to us. So it's, to me, it feels more like a revelation than a, something I can catch. I'm, I'm making myself... Well, it's even weird to talk about that way, but in a way, trying to not have it blocked or obstacles to its presence. Yeah. So, yeah, mysterious country, really. Yeah, it's realised rather than seen. Yeah, liberated rather than caught, you know. For the uh, you know the average person will find that it's that um, in the conditioned level it's that which where intentions the push of intentionality streams from the from the unawakened chitta right? getting impulses that push you this way that way that's coming from a, a chitta tottering around <laughs> lurching and surging. Or inclining, some you know. So, but um, skillful intentions is definite. Ooh, unskillful intentions is rickety. But intentionality streams from the chitta, for good or for bad. That's the difference between skillful and unskillful intentions. You know, so, chitta can extend itself, skillful intention, or lurch with an unskillful intention. And that's one way in which. You, what was it that lurched? What was it that extended? Say, well, I guess it's my heart. Okay, call it that then. That's another way of putting it. Sometimes it, that's that's how it manifests. That's how you sense it. Yeah. 
place where I, sense of I, yeah, that's that's chitta, say I, who's that? Who said that? Uh, who said that? I, where did that come from? <laughs> Not just the sound, but that, that, that comes from chitta. Yeah, you get that sense in, you know, Zen Cohen's and things, you know, who heard the Buddha's name? And we're pointing back to that something that is actually knowing, recognizing. So, yeah. I hope this is helpful. You know, we can kind of ramble on. I find it very interesting <laughs> personally, but. You know, I'll take up all your time, so it's nice to. But uh, you know, just just think of some of the let some of these ideas settle in, and uh, you know, uh, particularly where does where does impulse intention come from? Where it's skillful and unskillful? Where does the sense of I am arise? What is it that is touched by perception? Oh, that's jitta, that which is oh, activated by. An impression, and an impression touches it, and it, oh, it jumps up. That it's jumped. That's jitta. If it doesn't jump, then it's just awareness. So perhaps we should move on. Mm-hmm. So there was a question around pity um, related to sensations in the body. How does it manifest? So. Pity, the sense of um, joy, it's one of the factors that comes starts to come to play as the mind, as the chitta, as the meditation experience starts to settle. Yeah. I mean, we can experience it in other places, but it, it's really as things start to settle and some of the fragmentation of mind of heart falls away and the thinking process is just quiet and and we're just here deeply embodied you can start to feel this joy this pity start to arise it's a really it's it's we have pity sukha joy and sense of well-being you know joy is much more kind of feeling it's got a lot of um, rising energy with it, D- delight. It's a, it's a bit like, um, the, to me, it can feel like, if, particularly if we've been under stress, pressure, the suddenly oh, everything's relaxing, you start to get this energy released. And it's in the teachings and certainly in terms of breath work, the work is not to just set it off because it can go off into wonderful poetry and creative ideas and our work is to really keep bringing it home so the in the suttas it talks about a bath attendant you know rubbing up this kind of soap powder into soap really working it through so the it's to really work that that sensation that experience deeply let it let it infuse the body so that we're letting it heal the energy body because it's very powerful medicine. Yeah. It starts to take some of the um, constrictions and things and free them up. So to let pity saturate. Yeah. And it has a kind of up energy. So it normally naturally falls away to a deeper embodied sense of well-being and so this is a natural process pity arises naturally as the mind settles and comes out of you know mind and body hearts start to come together fragmentation falls away this quality of energy arises within the system and we keep it here it's a it's a tricky thing because sometimes that rising pity energy because we're now, in a way, we're coming into the relationship of feeling and body, and that's where lots of people get thrown out of the meditation. Yeah. 
it's a bit like some of the unfelt feeling can actually just kind of push at that moment. And it's just to steady, really feel the beautiful breath and let that soothe and settle. So in my experience, it's, it, can, it comes at a kind of transition point in terms of the quietening of the meditation. And it can feel like you actually kind of hit a little bit of the white water on the way out to the deep ocean here. So to just stay steady with that. And if the mind suddenly finds you thinking about this or that, we just come and just feel the body sitting here and come back, feel breath. Yeah. We're not trying to get anything. Yeah. But when this energy arises, we let it do its work as medicine. It's, it's profoundly healing of the energy body. Ajahn, yourself yeah. with this. Well, I don't think so much of I could say more than you say it very fully, actually. That's very good. I agree with that completely. It's um, again. It's something you can't be careful. You don't try to have it. That's all. As soon as you describe these things, well, oh, I want some of that. <laughs> that clogs everything up because <laughs> you don't. It doesn't try. It's actually. It's like you know the, the hard crusts of confusion and dullness and hindrances. You know, comes off, and as it's coming off. Oh, Oh wow! <laughs> ah, you get an uplift, and it's refreshing. And it, it's um, as Will has said, it's the the first kind of you know initial break. Through it's kind of fairly, you know, quite bubbly, um, and it's as the energy channels are sort of popping open from being compressed under the weight of hindrances and you know heaviness. The energy channels are sort of boop 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 boop. So you get oh that would be nice. And of course, one get be excited about that. So she's saying, you know, you want to wrap your body around that, and using that image of the Buddha, like you're steaming the pity through the tissues, you're letting it soak the tissues rather than blow out into mental proliferation or emotional stuff. And people could sometimes, you know, get get lose their moorings with pity. It gets sort of, ooh, so much energy rushing up. They, they sort of eyes are popping out and. Um, as they just down, you know, like think of corpses or something, <laughs> or, read, or read a newspaper that'll get you down. <laughs> Walk around the field, get into your feet, you know, you're going to get it into your body. The body will then ground the pity, and it does very good work because then it purifies the bodily channels, and the body feels vibrant and bright and unhindered. And then, of course, the chitta. Is, is uh, also become more dexterous and refined and subtler, and movement then is much towards ease, sukha or well-being. And the difference is that, like you could say that the pity is like the carpenter working on a lathe, getting oh this is really good, yeah, I'll get in there. And ease is when he's finished his work or she's finished her work, and oh that's that's nice, yeah, that's good work. So that, that's the shift that moves from one to the other. You want to make that shift rather than be, oh wow, more, 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 more. You know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if it gets too exciting, you kind of like you step back. This is just the formation. How does this feel in my legs, in my body, in my feet? You know, take it down, away from the more sensitive areas, like your abdomen or your face. Take it down to the more less sensitive areas, like your knees or your feet, and just. You know, contemplate it from there so you're not getting too sizzled by it all. Thank you, Vante. Should we move on to the yes. quest, question around... Um, Is it the black coal? Yeah. Heart feels like a lump of black coal, tight, painful and under strain. Striking image, yeah. My heart, whenever I try to feel the heart, I have the image of a lump of black coal which feels tight, painful and under strain. I had the idea if I could put a flame to it, I might start burning and become a red-hot coal of compassion. 
if I could fan it with the breath of love. Might you have suggestions of how I might begin this process? Yeah, well, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't um, predict what you should do with it. Um, you know, it's poetic, the idea of coal, right? Well, one, I make it hot coal of compassion. That's a nice poetic um, statement. But you're still saying how, it, how you want it to be, and what you should do with it. And I, I don't I think you should be cautious about that, that, that notion. Maybe that's what will happen. Maybe that's what maybe that's what'll happen, but you don't want to predict it because your main practice is to you've got a, a very good felt sense, an image of black coal, black, why coal? Hard black. Okay, how does that feel? Yeah. What's it doing to you? What's it doing to you in terms of your body? You're kind of tight, pressurized, probably not much joy. Joyless, loveless, okay. hard. And the hard, I would suggest you put it in water rather than fire. It's hard. Water is compassionate, water is the Kuan Yin, water is the great wide field, softening. So I've moved much towards the softening cooling even though cold doesn't seem to need to be cooling but the the soft watery quality of uh, compassion and um, see what it does you've got to take your lead from what it does not what you want it to do I imagine you don't want it to, to be there I wouldn't want it but that is that you've got to change that one if you don't want it, you've got to deal with that not wanting it. Because yeah. acting on not wanting it is not skillful at that level. You've got to act upon being present with in a way that harmonious with it. What does it need? It probably needs to be cared for, held carefully. Uh, I would suggest if using any imagery, use water. Water is a dissolver. It's like when you get a hard knot, you don't go to the hard place and start picking in it. You go to the loose place and start teasing it. So if that hard lump of coal sits in the middle of your chest, try to go wide around it to where you know your ribs or your solar plexus or your belly, and just start softening and loosening wherever you can, and uh, keeping it in mind. So you're creating a a wide field of dissolving, and the out breath is always useful. Out breath a dissolver, releasing, release your attitudes. If you notice you sort of get tight and don't get rid of this thing, release that attitude. Mm-hmm. And this is your kind of learn amazing skills, amazing skills through that. Learn amazing skills through that meeting, that uh, constricted stuff. You really learn what compassion is, and you, you, then it will do what it does. You can't decide what it's going to do. It will do what it does. It might tell you all kinds of useful, interesting things as it begins to be received properly and listened to properly. It might say a few very useful, pertinent things. That's what I would. That's the direction I would take and encourage. Sounds lovely, Zante. Absolutely. That into constriction, we don't want to bring any kind of force or expectation or so to, you know, how to really give enough space and kindness, friendliness. And these feelings can be there at times and then Another time it feels very different. So it's also not even to hold an image. Just staying really present to that shifting quality of heart and really attuning to what needs to come around it. 
and really love is the medicine, yeah. But it's not love to get rid of. Right. It's love to befriend and be present with. And often for myself that that sense of befriending is really helpful. And the quality it takes to befriend wild things, yeah. So it has a lot of gentleness and respect in it and and it it's about for me giving it all the time it takes, yeah. So this being we think of it as a being or this energy is willing to speak as you say, Ajahn, and will offer gifts. Mm-hmm. Will offer gifts. Approach it like you're approaching a reverent master. Okay, so I think we've completed our time. I only use these time boundaries. Um, You know, I'm not keen on numbers, but there's a sense of how much listening do you want to do to words? Do you give it enough space to take in the words and let them land, dissolve into silence? Not to overfeed and uh, give yourself a good amount of silence to listen to what any of that, whether any of that's taken you, any particular pieces of move for you, listening to that, that, that's how the teaching is completed in the silence. So I'd suggest we take a little break now and um, use the silence skillfully, uh, see where and where chitta wants to move, wants to go to.